All right, everybody. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. You'll have you'll have more time to talk after. We'll have some discussion questions on the back end, and uh, and similar to last time, I'll I will stop and kind of you know as we're going through the sermon, say, do you have any questions about that? Do you have any questions about that? Uh, so we got some good questions last time. I'd like to hear if if there's things that I'm saying that you're like I'm not so sure about. Let's talk about it. So here here's the one question I would just love some feedback on. Uh, that third question is. How is the way that the Bible talks about change uh, different than the way the world thinks about change? Did anybody get to question number three? Or have any, uh, uh, probably not based on the laughs about it. Does anyone have any thoughts on it real quick? Lightning thoughts on it? Yeah. Um, I think that biblical change is um, more of like being less of yourself and more like Christ. Where yes. worldly change is how can I consider myself and love myself more rather than people or anything true. Correct. Yeah, biblical change more about becoming more like Jesus, whereas worldly change might just be a better, better me. Um, what else? Yeah, Brian. Okay, sanctification, being we're just trying becoming more like the Lord. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Yes, good. The the way that change happens biblically is different, which we'll we'll talk about tonight. Good. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Becky. Yes. Amen. Come on now. Yeah, the world says you can change yourself. Or Scripture says you need someone to help you change. Well, two weeks ago we, we talked about this. And if you missed it, you could listen to it. We recorded it. Um, we talked about uh, a few different things. We talked about that for the Christian, when we're talking about change, change is already a reality part of your life. You have been changed. You went from death to life forgiven, uh, sorry, unforgiven to forgiven, God's enemy to God's child, uh, to uh, now someone um, who knows the Lord and loves the Lord. Not only is change part of your past, change is in your future. One day the Lord is going to give you a new body a, and you will never sin again, which is amazing. But in the meantime, and these are on your handout, change is still needed. Uh, that's what we talked about. We need change. We, we've never arrived in this life. And we talked last time, my big thing last time I really wanted to just uh, take home, which I was really encouraged to hear people said that, or recognized it, is change is about becoming more like Jesus. We're supposed to become more like Christ, which I think makes us not just focused on the bad things we want to stop doing, but what are the positive things that describe the character and person of Jesus that we want to emulate. So that's what we talked about last time. So tonight, uh, I, have, I have only two questions I want to ask. If you have your Bibles... Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses tonight, and then we're just going to kind of spring off these two verses uh, into a bunch of different topics. So two verses is going to be the foundations of what we're learning. Tonight we're going to ask two questions. Uh, these ones should be on your handout. And the first question is, how do I work towards change? How do I work towards change? You're going to see five bullet points under there. I think you guys see that in A, B, C, D, E. Just you know, it's going to be a little bit before we get to those five, and then they'll, they'll go not too fast, but they'll go relatively quick when we get there. So you'll want to take notes up, and then we'll fill up those five if you're, if you're a studious note taker. I'm just trying to help you out. So let's look at, a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, my beloved, he's writing to a specific church at Philippi, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, 
for His good pleasure. Let's think about this passage tonight. Because usually when people think about change, we think about like intermittent fasting or setting the alarm clock or getting an accountability partner. And all of those are practical and somewhat useful suggestions, but do they actually work? You know, as Christians, we are supposed to train ourselves. 1 Timothy 4.7 says train yourself for godliness. That's 1 Timothy 4.7. That means there is going to be effort if you're going to change. But, but what is the right way to think about our change? Well, what's the right mindset for change? And then what is the correct method for change? Well, this passage helps us here. Take a look at Philippians 2.12. Paul says there halfway through, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. And let me tell you what this isn't saying. What Paul is not saying is work for your salvation. All right, That is very, very clear in the Bible that we never earn our right to heaven. Our ticket to heaven is given to us by grace and mercy, not based on our own efforts. We don't qualify ourselves. God qualifies us through His Son. And I'll, by the way, just to prove that, I'll show us that because Paul has been talking about that in Philippians. So if you look back at Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, now you can look like halfway through the verse, it says, that is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that salvation being from God. Your salvation is not from you and your effort. Your salvation is from God. I'll show you, a, I think, even more clear verse. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, take a look at verse 8. And if you're newer to Christianity, if you're invited here tonight, you're like, hey, I just, just kind of want to learn what this church thing, this Bible thing's about. I think Philippians 3 is a great chapter just to read on your own to learn what it's about. But Philippians 3 and 8 explain, or Philippians 3, 8, 9 helps us understand what we mean about not saving ourselves. Look what it says in verse 8. Paul says this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. So Paul's saying, I, I count everything as lost that I might gain Jesus and be found in Him. Now here's what he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so it's very clear, and I want to make this clear in case you know people here aren't aware of this, is we as Christians are not those who've cleaned up our lives and have earned heaven. No, we are those who are living by, it says, faith. We're depending, or we're depending on is Christ. What we're saying is the only thing that could possibly qualify me for heaven is the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Believing that He died for my sin as He claimed. And that He rose from the dead showing that God accepted His death as a payment for my sin. And therefore, I depend on Him, not my resume. I depend on what He has done, not what I do to qualify me to heaven. That's when God declares you righteous. Not with your own righteousness, but He grants you righteousness because you're depending on Christ. That's what this is about. So that's not what Paul is saying. So let's go back to Philippians 2.12. When we see work out your salvation, it's very clear it's not work for because nobody could ever work for and earn their salvation. So let's talk about this here. This word, work out, what does it mean? It's, it's not that complicated of a word. It's a word that means produce. It's a word that means energy. 
Uh, it's a word that implies effort, but it's effort with results. Here's what this is saying. It says work out. Work out is to labor to demonstrate the fruit of your salvation. Work hard to demonstrate the fact that you are saved. It's not earn your salvation. It's not keep your salvation. It's not even prove your salvation. But it's to walk in line with who you are. It's as if to say you are saved. Now work that out. Live that out. Demonstrate that. That's that's what Paul is telling him to do. Work out means work hard to be who you actually are, which is someone who's been saved by the blood of Jesus. I want more and more to act like who I am supposed to be. And we see Paul's been saying stuff like this. Go back, if you would, to Philippians 1.27. Philippians 1.27, this might be a different way of saying the same thing. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. Now that worthy, word worthy there isn't like you've earned it worthy. It's like appropriate. Like live in a way that's appropriate as someone who's been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And to work out your salvation says, man, I am someone who's saved. I am someone who's secure. What I'm laboring then is to more and more demonstrate this is actually who I am. I'm trying to become more and more uh, in line with the identity that God has given me. One who's been forgiven of my sin. That is where we're at here. That's what Paul is discussing. And that's what he's telling the Philippians to do. He's telling them to live this out, to be who you are. Some of you have heard the expression, dress not for the job you have, but dress for the job you want. And maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you like that advice. Maybe you don't like that advice. I think for us as Christians, it's live the position you have. Live the position you have. Not what you feel like today. Live like who you are in Jesus. Take a look. I have it up here. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Thank God. I've, oh, oh, hopefully we'll see that. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Sorry if you're colorblind. Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Hey, you are beloved children, so imitate your Father. Be who you are. That's who you are. So do this. And how are they supposed to do it? Well, they're supposed to do it with hard work. They're supposed to work out their salvation. When Paul says this, what he is talking about is effort, energy, zeal, real labor and striving. This is not talking about some sort of passive or lackadaisical, or aimless pursuit. Paul's telling these Christians, work hard to be who you are in Christ. Now, I was trying to think how to, how to illustrate this. I mean, when you're, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't go to gyms anymore. Some of you are like, I could tell. But don't, don't be mean to me. It's just, it just got busy. It got busy. When can you go? You try to go when it's not busy, and it's busy. But I remember when I was in high school, I used to go... I used to go regularly, and what I love is there's always certain people you'd see at the gym. There are certain characters that are at every single gym you go to. So even though I've not been a little bit, I know that there is always like the super sweaty dude. That like he's been there 10 minutes and everything is immediately wet. It's like a dog came and like shook their wet fur off right there. And the the guy forgot to bring a towel on all the machines he uses. And then and then there's always like the ripped old dude. The old dude that you're just like. Who is this guy? This guy's this guy's awesome. And then there's then there's like I, I don't know what to call this person, the director of activities, ASB. There's the person that's friends with everyone, even though they've never talked to you before. Hey, good to see you again, brother. Hey, good to see you. You're like there's that person, 
And then there's always what I call the cell phone guy. Do you know the cell phone guy? The cell phone guy is the person who does like five reps and then will look at their phone for the next 15 minutes and then do five reps and then stare at the phone for the next 15 minutes and then five reps and then call someone let them know they're heading out. And that's it. Like that's their whole workout. And it's kind of silly. It's kind of like, why, why do we even do this? You could have just done push-ups at home. That's it. And, but some of us can be like that with our pursuit of holiness. Some of us were just kind of coasting. We're like cell phone guy at the gym. A little bit of effort. We're in the right spot, but we're not, we're not actually doing anything. Think instead of how the Bible talks about this. So if you can see this, this is Colossians 3.5. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he gets sexual sin. That word there, put to death, is just the word murder. It's murder these fleshly desires. Work hard to beat sin in your life. 2 Timothy 2.22, look at these words. It's flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. That word there, pursue, by the way, that's up there, is actually the same word for persecute. It has the idea of like vigor and intensity and almost being brutal with your sin. Have a look at this word up here. I love this verse. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so the pursuit of holiness in our life is supposed to be that. It's supposed to be a pursuit. Like when I think about the word pursuit, uh, I'm like, okay, I could think trivial pursuit. Or I could see like, oh, hey, there's a police pursuit on TV. And I love watching those. Those are awesome. Uh, and when there's a pursuit on TV, the police are not just like cruising along like, I hope we get this guy. They are after uh, the guy who's on the run. That's what pursue means. We're to strive after holiness. There's an intensity with it. And actually, in our verse in front of us, take a look. It actually explains what's the attitude we're supposed to have. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's think about that. Fear and trembling. I, I don't think it's helpful to break those two words down. I think it's one and the same. One's more internal. One's the external expression of that. It, it's, it's meant to all be taken together. It's supposed to be with fear. What do we mean by fear? Well, fear here has the idea of like sobriety. Has the idea of seriousness. Has the idea like this is a really big deal. Uh, we know Proverbs 1.7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to hear more about that, come back in two weeks. But what is this fear? It's, it's not fear of the whip. So it's not, hey, work out your salvation or God's going to get you. That's not what this is. It's, it's being gripped by the holiness, the weightiness of God and how serious He takes sin and how serious He wants obedience in your life. So one of the verses, I've, I've talked about this before, I, I think this verse is really helpful. This is in Exodus chapter 20. This is right after God has given the people the Ten Commandments. And the people are freaked out. Because like there's a holy God with some holy commands and we are not a holy people. So, so Moses, how about you just talk to God and then fill us in later what He said. And Moses says this to them. Exodus 20, 20 I have up there. It says, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. So when it comes to God, there is a wrong kind of fear. It's a wrong kind of fear to say like, oh, I better watch out or God's out to get me. I better not mess up because God's lurking around the corner just to kind of come down hard on me whenever I sin. That's not what it is. But there is a sense when I see God rightly and I understand His holiness 
And I understand all that He's done for me. That I'm gripped by that and I'm moved to say, I want to obey. And it's with that kind of seriousness that we're supposed to work out our salvation. That actually is what Paul is doing here in Philippians chapter 2. Let me, let me, let me show you that. In Philippians chapter 2, let's, let's consider what's going on here. So let's think about the context for a second. Look at chapter 1 verse 27. Uh, chapter 1 verse 27. When he talks about like live a life worthy of the Gospel of Christ. And he says that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the Gospel. So he's talking to them about being unified. He says the same thing in chapter 2 verse 1. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's talking to them about unity. He's going to say in verses 3 and 4, don't merely look out for your own interest, but the interest of others. And in chapter 4, verse 2, he's going to call out two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who are not walking in unity who previously walked side by side and are no longer. So what, what Paul could just do is say, hey, you need to be unified, and you're not, and you're Christians, so stop it and, uh, and start obeying. That's what he could do. But notice what he does in the middle. He says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul reminds the Philippians, you know, you should think this way because Jesus, the eternal God who spoke everything to existence, took on humanity and became weak and died for sin. And he says, and that's not all that happened with Jesus. He says, look what else happened to Jesus. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what Paul then says is, hey, consider the humiliation of Christ that He suffered for your sin. Consider the exaltation of Jesus, a place of Lord where He reigns over everyone and work out with fear and trembling because this matters. Because Jesus died for sin and He's Lord over you, so you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because this is a big deal. This is reality. This is the most important thing in your life. is your relationship with Him, so you need to live like you're in a relationship with the humiliated, exalted Savior, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? So he's throwing that in there. And what he's doing specifically, we're applying this to sin in general and how we fight for holiness, Paul is talking specifically about unity. He's doing the exact same thing that we want to do with whatever sin we are trying to put to death. And so friend, can I just ask you, are you really striving for holiness? Would you say that your pursuit, that you're working out your salvation is with fear and trembling? Or would you say that it's more passive and cavalier and apathetic? What I want to do, and this will be in your notes now, is I want to give us five areas Five areas that you could, what it looks like to work out your salvation. This will answer the question, well, how, what does this pursuit look like? What practical steps I could take? And in our questions after, uh, when we discuss afterwards, maybe just a good thing to ask one another is like, man, what's one step you want to take this week and how are you going to do it? And with these five areas, the way I want you to think about them is these are sort of like five currents in the same river. 
Like God has designed, uh, God has put in place these five currents that help you grow. These are God-designed ways to grow. These aren't things I've come up with. I've not invented how you could be a better you. These are just the natural things that God has already said. This is how you grow. These are things I put in place. And so rather than fighting the tide, why don't you go with the tide? And if you want to see real growth, this is how you do it. These are the God-ordained means of sanctification, means of growing in holiness. And I'm going to give you five of them, okay? Here we go. Here's the first one. How do I grow? How do I actually pursue this? Number one, Scripture reading and meditation. Scripture reading and meditation. And when I, when I say meditation, I don't mean like backyard zen. I mean reading the Scripture and then meditating on the Scripture. Dwelling on it. Thinking on it. Rehearsing over it. That's, uh, that's what we're supposed to do. And we see this. This is promised in the Bible. So some of us go like, man, my Bible reading, I don't really see a connection between my Bible reading and my holiness. But it's about doing it by faith. Because what has God said? Look at Psalm 119.11. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses on the screen now. Psalm 119.11. It says, I've stored up Your Word in my heart that I might not sin against You. I mean, that's, that's it right there. By meditating on the Word. So not just reading it, but I meditate on it. And I think on it. And I dwell on it. And it helps me obey the Lord. And so maybe a practice for you this week would be like, okay, here's this sin issue in my life. I'm seeing my mouth being used in this way. I see my thoughts go this way. I, I'm so quick-tempered. Let me just grab one verse. I'm going to store it in my heart. I'm, I'll get a, a Bible memory app. I'll, I'll put a sticky note in my car or a sticky note wherever I notice this sin keep popping up. I'm just going to chew on this verse. I'm going to let it seep into my heart and I want to, I want to obey it. I'm going to pray over it. I love this. John 17.17 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. God, keep them holy. Make them holy in the truth. By the way, Jesus prayed this. And I have a good feeling that if Jesus prayed something to God the Father, that there's a good chance that prayer gets answered, right? So it's probably a good chance that the Word is going to be the means by which we stay holy. Uh, A verse that's not on the screen, but you could jot this down later. Psalm 19.12. Psalm 19, verse 12. Jot it down. It says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. You can write down Psalm 19, 12. It's about, like, look, I read the Bible because I don't always know what sins I have. So sometimes we go to the Bible and go like, well, let's just go to the sins I'm thinking about now. Yeah, but the Bible regularly exposes us to weaknesses we didn't even know we had. And so we just need to read it because sometimes we go like, I don't know what I'm going to get out of Numbers chapter 20. And then you read it and you're like, hey, I sin like that too. I need, I need to understand this. So we read the Bible because it helps us understand God. It helps us understand reality. Keep in mind with this, Bible reading is not an end of itself. The goal is not just to go, good, I read my Bible, therefore I'm a holy person. No, the goal is to understand God better and to see Him and understand His will for our lives. We want to see God rightly. The Bible helps us see ourselves rightly. And so the question that you would just have to ask is, are we regularly reading it? And do we have a plan? Because very, very rarely do we accidentally fall into Bible reading and, uh, and undistracted meditation on it. we got to keep going, so let's go to the second one. Here's the second means by which God grows. The second step is prayer. Prayer. Take your Bible, if you would, and go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Prayer. Now some of us, again, we might be tempted to think, do I really need prayer if I'm going to live a Christ-like life? Well, well, Jesus seemed to think He needed to pray. <laughs> and uh, therefore, if we're trying to follow Christ, 
Now we noticed him regularly praying. Uh, then we ought to be praying as well. And what specifically should we pray? What specifically should we go to the Father for? Well, Matthew 6, verse 13, here's what Jesus says. Hey, disciples, pray in this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Luke 22, verse 40, Jesus tells the disciples in the garden, pray that you would not enter into temptation. It seems that we are in our fight against sin going to be in a constant position of dependence. We need the Lord's help. Let let me just kind of burst some of your bubbles tonight. You aren't strong enough to fight whatever sin you think you're trying to fight. You can't do it on your own. You don't have the willpower or the discipline or the plan. You need the Lord's help. Jesus taught us that. Remember, we we studied uh, the upper room. What did we read in John 15? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And and then in John 17, He will pray and say, Lord, keep them from the evil one. That's John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 17, keep them from the evil one. So friends, are we praying about that sin? Some of us are, are much more eager to talk to our friends about our sin issue than to talk to the Lord about it. And then we're confused why we're still dealing with it. So let's make sure that we're regularly praying. Number three. Number three. What's the third means by which we can go? Third step you could take. Connection to your local church. Connection to your local church. When I say connection, why don't you write purposeful relationships and personal relationships and intrusive relationships. You need people not just to wave hi to you or hand you a bulletin on your way into church and say, see you next week on your way out of church. You need people who know what's going on in your life. We need people who know us well enough to know when we're acting funky. Uh, Now listen, um, there's a lot of weird stuff with accountability. Uh, Accountability is not helpful when we just confess our sins but never do anything about it. And sometimes there's weird stuff with accountability where we feel like, I need to tell everyone about every sin issue I'm dealing with. I don't think that's helpful. But the Bible does say, like, hey, if we want to grow, The Lord has given us His Word, but He's also given us the church. Listen to this. I love 2 Timothy 2.22. Notice this. We we do this verse all the time, right? Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But then what's it say at the end? Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So it's a run from, it's a run to, and it's a run with. I'm supposed to run with people who are also pursuing godliness, who are helping me grow in godliness. Um, you know, sometimes uh, you know, in, in churches, like we, we do what's called church discipline at our church. We do church restoration. Someone is in unrepentant sin, uh, and a bunch of people have gone to them, we're going to tell it to the congregation. And sometimes people hear that and go like, well, I can't ever be open at that church. Well, friends, at our church, that's not our, that's not our gut reaction. That's not our knee-jerk reaction when someone confesses sin. Because the Bible talks a lot more about stuff like Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Take a look at this. Brothers, if anyone isn't caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, kick them out immediately. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. What's it say? It says you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what does that mean? That means seek after friends in your church who know you, who love you, who care for your walk with Christ so that they could be praying for you. 
Invite them to ask the awkward questions you don't want to ask. Listen, the next time you do that sin, the next time you act in that way, whatever that way is, you're going to feel awkward and you're not going to want to share about it. You need them to ask you about it at that point. You need friends that are going to ask you about that. You need friends that are going to hold you accountable. You need friends that are going to notice the way you're living. Maybe, maybe there are smaller sins that you're tolerating and that a friend might go, hey, do you think that this sin is happening because you're doing these things? Oh yeah, you're right. I totally didn't notice that. That's why God gives us other people who could help us out in our walk. We need help from the local church. We need other people involved in our lives. I would say like the way we do that at our church is we have fellowship groups that are supposed to be actually like connected to one another. We, we know one another, etc. Uh, but are you connected and are you inviting people in? And here's the other thing I would say. One of the best ways to do this is to actually be this kind of spiritual friend for somebody else. So like at, at group tonight, if somebody says, man, I'm really struggling in this way, or in your fellowship group this week, somebody goes, man, I'm really struggling with this particular sin, that's really good in that moment that you encourage them, please follow up with them. Don't do, bearing one another's burdens isn't just in that moment. Be the one who then initiates the conversation. Say, hey, let's circle back to that thing you talked about a couple weeks ago. I could talk a whole lot more about this point, uh, but that's a whole other sermon. So let's keep it going. Number four. Number four, how does this happen? Let's talk about the fourth thing is fighting sin. The fourth means by growth is actually fighting sin. The language the Bible uses for fighting sin is sometimes disturbingly violent. We are supposed to be aggressive with our sin. We're supposed to be brutal with our sin. We are not supposed to coddle it or make excuses for it or just try to kill it a little bit but keep it alive. That's not how it works. Listen, Matthew 5, verse 29-30 I have up here says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Take drastic measures about it. Now this isn't literal. No eye patches next week, please. Uh, but, but the idea being like, hey, like if there's certain like TV channels you need to uh, cut out, if there's apps you need to get rid of, if there's certain friendships, certain people you can't spend time with, then you need to cut those things out. You need to cut off sin at the source. What, what we need to become is students of our sin. Uh, one of the Puritans said, uh, you need to be, understand the associates that Satan has in your heart. Know your weaknesses, Christian. Know, know, like, don't be naive about where you're weak and where you're strong. And, and understand where you fall short. Maybe one of the things you could start doing is saying, okay, when I sin in this particular way, what smaller sins led to that sin? Become a student of your sin and, this, and then start fighting those little sins that lead to that big sin. And so maybe like there were certain shows that reflect certain attitudes that you're like, oh man, I can't watch that show because I see the way it affects myself. I, I had one friend who, who lost his job because he was just harsh with his words. He was just unkind. And I said, I was talking to him, like, what happened? He said, you know what, to be honest, I take the blame. But during that season, I just listened to a lot of political talk radio. And so I just listened to people blast the people they don't like. And I just started doing the same thing, blasting anybody I disagreed with. Well, that's not the way we treat people created in the image of God. And God allowed this guy to lose his job because of that sin. So there's something to be mindful of. Like, let's, let's think about what is influencing me and uh, become a student of your sin. Finally, here's the fifth one, is worship. 
worship. We change via worship. Take your Bible, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And then we'll go back to Philippians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice how change happens. And we read this verse last week. It was on our handout last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so there's something there that Paul is saying that as we behold God's glory, as we behold the glory of the Lord, that we're now transformed into that same image. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as I see the glory of the Lord specifically in the face of Jesus, and as I meditate on God's glory and behold Him and worship Him, there is a transforming effect that happens. For more on that, you can look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when it says in the future, we will see Christ as He is, and then we will become like Him. You become what you behold. Now that's important, right? Because that means that for some of us, like certain sports or, or, or certain hobbies, we might need to limit because we worship those things and therefore we become like those things. But we will not become like, more like Christ if we're not spending time worshiping Christ. And so just a good question to ask is in our Bible reading, hey, we're understanding and we're applying, but are we worshiping? Is there time to delight in the Lord? When we come to church on Sunday, if we walk away going, I understood the passage, and I now know what to do with the passage, but there was no treasuring of the Lord in your heart. There was no moment where you were overwhelmed by His goodness and His grace, where your view of Him was increased and you beheld Him in all His splendor. Friends, it's going to be very hard to change. So we wor- as we worship, we become more like Christ. Okay, that's question number one. We've got a, a number two to go through now, and that'll be a little shorter. Any questions so far? Anything I said not sure about? Anything I can clarify? What if I don't know how to pray? Well, you just got to, in faith, no. I, call, I talk to the Lord. Uh, a great thing to look at would be Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13, where Jesus actually talks to his disciples about prayer. Um, and uh, so the question, sorry for the recording. The question is, how do we pray? What if I'm not sure how to pray? So Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, Jesus begins by saying, start by praying, Father. So when we pray, we understand it's nothing ritualistic. It's not a magic code of words. I'm, I'm talking with God who hears. Um, that's how we start with that. So, good question. I, I think you, if you don't know, if you feel like, man, nothing happens when I pray, I think you just keep praying. I mean, Jesus prays multiple times. Let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. It does seem like Jesus sometimes is praying in faith. It's kind of wild. And some Trinity stuff we could talk about another time. Good question. What else? Okay, I'm going to keep on moving on because we've got to blitz through this last point, but it's a great point. Here's the second question. How does God work to change me? How does God 
work to change me. We're back in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, you're going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is the promise that Paul is giving here. Is that if you're a Christian, you're working out because God is working in you right now. God is actively involved in helping you become more like Christ. This is not something you've been called to do on your own. Listen, this should be very encouraging with whatever sin you're trying to put to death tonight. Because however zealous you feel, however committed you are to holiness, know that God is even more committed to it. And what does it say here? He says, God is at work in you, both to will and to work, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. When it says there to will and to work, that's actually talking about the scope of God's work in your life. He is, he is sanctifying, working on both your will and your work. That is, He is changing your actions and He's changing your affections. So it's totally legitimate then to pray, Lord, help me not only to refrain from this sin, but help me to no longer desire that sin. Help me not just to pursue love, joy, peace, patience, but to actually want to do it. To do it naturally because You've changed my life. That's amazing. God's not just changing our outside. He's changing our very hearts all the time to become more like the heart of Christ. And here's my favorite part of this. Look at this. It says here at the end, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You know what that means? Let me tell you what that means. Some of us have this idea, like we've, we, we've just lost our temper again. We just ripped this person again. We've, we've said some awful thing. And, and what God, uh, I go to God in prayer, and God is like this grumpy coach who's like, really? We're talking about this again? Or we finally do it right, and God's like, ah, about time you got it right. That's not what this verse is saying. What we get a picture of in the Scripture is a heavenly Father who delights in helping His children. He wants to help us obey. He wants to help us kill sin. It is His good pleasure. You are not asking Him to do something that's uncomfortable for Him or unnatural for Him. This is the thing He wants to do is to make you more like Christ. Let me just give you a few of these things. Let, let me just, like, you've got three points there, and I'm going to go through this quick, and I'll give you these verses. I want you to know that, like, to prove this, every member of the Godhead, every member of the Trinity is involved in helping you grow. Do you realize that? So, so uh, up on the screen here, I've got the, the first point there would be the work of the Father, you could say. What's God the Father doing? Well, we talked about John 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Like God is trying to grow you. And one of the ways He does that is through, through pruning you. By, by Pruning is a cutting term. You cut a stem at a certain angle so that it, it grows back more fruitful and stronger. Uh, take a look at this verse. This is a little bit longer one. This is Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. Uh, it, it says, Therefore they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. Uh, sorry, I'm, my page is sticking together. Here we go. It says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that interesting? God is orchestrating everything in your life, even your trials, so that you become more like Jesus. Think about that when next time you're in a rough season. Think about that the next time disappointment comes. Say, Lord, you are helping me become more like Christ. You're pruning me and helping me to share in your holiness. He never punishes us, but He does prune us. And He does allow us to suffer sometimes the consequences of our sin, not as punishment, but because He loves us and He wants us to be holy. Uh, the second thing you write down is the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus. What does Jesus do? Well, Jesus does two things. One of them I don't have on the screen. One of them you could write later is Ephesians 4, 11-13. So a lot of you know Ephesians 4, 11. It's, it's He gave some as apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry to the building up the church. It's that we're, it says that there's these leaders, and then it says that they equip the saints so that they mature one another. You guys familiar with this verse? You've heard this verse before? You know the beginning in verse 11, it says He gave. You know that He is? It's Jesus. Jesus gives to His church godly leaders that then help equip the saints so that you build one another up. That's why in Revelation we read Jesus walking along the, uh, among the lampstands. Why? Because He's active in His church. He's raising people up so that then they would build up the body so that the body would help one another mature. He's very active. You know what else I think He's doing right now? I think we have good testimony on this Scripture. He's praying for us. He's praying for us. So in, in John 17, He prays like this. It says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He later will go on to say, pray this not only for these disciples, but for all who believe through their word. And we get this idea in Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 9 that He always is praying for us. And one of the things I think He's praying regularly is that we would make it to the end. Look at Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us then draw with confidence near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that amazing? Jesus stands ready to help you and He prays for you, and He puts people in your life to help you mature. Here's the last one. Let's talk about the work of the Spirit. Just one verse on this. Romans 8.13. Help of the Spirit, Romans 8.13. So it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Hey, you actually have hope to obey because you have the Spirit of God inside of you, if you're a Christian, empowering you. It says that the Word is called the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit works in us, convicting us of sin, help us understand the Word, and actually giving us the power to obey. Isn't that awesome? All of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is helping us walk in holiness. Okay, we need to wrap up. Questions? Questions about anything I said there in point two? What's that? First one is the work of the Father, and the second one is the work of the Son. So what's God the Father doing? He, he is or sovereignly overseeing our life events to help us become holy. What's the work of the Son? He prays for us, and He's active in the church. He's, he's putting leaders in place to help us grow. That's a good question. Okay, other questions? Yes, yeah, Brian. Yeah, uh, I think in Hebrew, so the question was praying, interceding, is there anything different? I mean, those words basically do mean the same thing. 
I do think his primary prayers, according to 1 Timothy 2 um, and Hebrews 7 and 9, is he's constantly reminding the Father that our sins are paid for. Not that God forgets, but it's like he's still there siding with us anyway, which is encouraging in the fight against sin. But also, like we see John 17, that's his heart, is to pray that his people would, would do that. And he's just doing what comes naturally to him in John 17. So I don't think we're wrong to infer that, that, that he wants us to make it. And uh, Jesus does talk about sending the Spirit. So um, John 15, apart from me, you could do nothing. So I get the idea that like, hey, when we commune with Christ, we can ask for help uh, in that. There's some mystery in there because it's Trinity and sometimes we want to math it out and it's hard, but I, I think that's okay to do. Okay, let me give you a summary. Some of you will laugh at this. Check this out. I, I stole this, so I'm not taking any credit for it. Think about this. It is the will of God that by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, the people of God would become like the Son of God. That's, that's how, I didn't make that up, so no credit there, but that's just reality. God is working in His Spirit, through the Word, to make you more like Jesus, so you might better, better magnify Him. He is working with us. So, just the last word with that. Sometimes it feels like walking in holiness is like pushing a boulder up the hill. Uh, Tim Chester in his book, You Can Change, illustrates like this. If God is doing all this, then the boulder's already rolling down the hill. We just got to make sure like we don't slow it down. We want to work with Him with what God is already happily trying to do in our life. And so with that, whatever way we're trying to change in Christ's likeness, like, it's possible because God's empowered it and He delights in helping us. So why don't we go ahead and pray. So let's bow our head and we'll close in prayer and then we'll sing a couple more songs. And as you have your head bowed, Becky is going to come up and we are going to sing two more songs on the back end. This, this first song will be a new song and so she's going to sing the first verse twice once you, once you understand it. Uh, once you catch the tune, you can feel free to, to join in. Father, we are thankful for you. We're thankful for everything your word says about change. We're promised that you're at work in changing us. God, you're so good that you've not only paid for our sins, but you're patient with us and you're helpful to us. You come alongside us and, and, and guide us in holiness. And so, Lord, we do pray that we would become more like your son. Help us in all our actions and our attitudes and our thinking reflect the glory of Christ more. Lord, I pray that we would, in this room, zealously pursue holiness, that we would work hard to put sin to death. And Lord, thank you that you're willing to help us. Thank you that each day you give us faith and help us to pursue righteousness and love and peace and everything that would uh, help us to emulate your Son in our life. Lord, we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.